Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, before Marty continues tonight in the rest of the evening in music, there's just a, a snippet of, of scripture I wanted to uh, unlock for you. Maybe it's something you've read before and you skipped over it. Maybe you understand what it is already. I'm not sure, but um, I'm going to explain what what this is all about, this, this candlestick next to me. And I want to talk about a feast that is the um, latest of the Jewish feasts. It's a, another feast that is celebrated during this time of the year. And it was a feast that Jesus actually celebrated when he was on earth. Uh, we know it as Hanukkah or Hanukkah. It was called the Feast of Dedication. And it's, uh, it's not a feast that has, um, that is of biblical origin. That is, it's not from the Old Testament period. It's not from the New Testament period. It's from the intertestamental period. It began between the Old and the New Testaments. But by the time of the New Testament, it was already celebrated. And we have a scripture where Jesus was at the temple during that time. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 10. And I'm just going to read a few verses. It's a familiar uh, text of scripture. But it says, beginning in verse 19, Therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and he is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, and here it is, it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. That wasn't the coffee shop in the temple. We named our coffee shop. I decided to give it the name after the place that was a common gathering spot in the temple 2,000 years ago, the colonnaded area called Solomon's Porch. So Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's Porch, and the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, then tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I've told you... And you do not believe the words or the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered, and he said to them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, there was a temple in Jerusalem. And inside that temple, 
in the holy place. One of the articles of furniture was a seven-branched candelabra known as the menorah. It was the ancient symbol of the presence of God among his people. It was attended to by the priests on a daily basis. The menorah, the seven-branched candlestick. But there had happened something to the temple and to the Jewish people between the Old and the New Testament that at the time of Jesus was still being commemorated. Let me give you the history. When the Greeks ruled the world under a guy named Alexander the Great, he in ten years was able to conquer the entire known world. Conquered every known civilization, known to man at the time. He conquered it. He was in charge. He was 31 years old when he was in charge of the globe. He died as a drunk in Babylon at 31 years of age. When he was dying, when he was on his deathbed, they asked him the question, What will we do with your kingdom, Alexander? To whom should we give it? And he said, give it to the strong. And so he had four generals, and Alexander the Great's kingdom became less great as it was divided into four quadrants overseen by his four generals. Their names were Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemaeus, and Seleucus. They took what Alexander ruled over and divided it among those four men. Two of them are very important when it comes to the history of the Jewish nation. And here's why. The Syrian empire, the Syrian area up north of Israel, was ruled by a dynasty known as the Seleucids under General Seleucus. Everyone after him was part of that Seleucid dynasty. Egypt was controlled by the Ptolemaic Empire, named after Ptolemy, one of those other four generals of Alexander. So because they fought with each other for more land and more control, and because in between Syria and Egypt, north and south, sandwiched in between those great empires was Israel, they got the brunt of the warfare. As one would fight the other, and as the successor would fight and fight year after year, generation after generation, Israel was sandwiched in the middle. By the way, all of this is predicted in Daniel chapter 11, what happened historically between those two great empires, the kings of the north and the kings of the south. So this is what happened. As those dynasties rolled on, the eighth Syrian king was a guy by the name of Antiochus IV. Antiochus IV was the brother of Cleopatra. And in 175 BC, he became in charge of the Syrian Empire, the Seleucid Empire. So he decided he wanted to make everyone in the world under his control, like his predecessor Alexander, who was... Great, but not so great. He wanted to be greater. The problem that Antiochus IV had was with the Jewish nation. They refused to assimilate and become part of this great empire. So this is what he did. 
Since he was trying to gain control of not only Egypt, but the whole world, and the Jews were in between, he decided to wage war against the Jews. And in 165 B.C., Antiochus IV attacked Judea and especially Jerusalem. Now, I should tell you something. He gave himself a name that he printed or inscribed on coins that had his bust on them. Inscribed on the coins was the name he gave himself, Theos Antiochus, Theos Epiphaneus, which is the God Antiochus, the God made manifest. He was saying, I am God made manifest to the world. And his nickname was Antiochus Epiphanes. This is Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, the epiphany of God on earth, he called himself. The Jews wholeheartedly disagreed. And they gave him another nickname, Antiochus Epimenes, which means the madman or the nutcase, the crazy dude. He called himself God made manifest. They called him the whackhammer, Antiochus Epimenes. And here's why. When he attacked Jerusalem, he killed 80,000 Jews, slaughtered them, took another 40,000 of them as slaves, and desecrated the temple where this menorah stood. This is how he desecrated it. He said there will be an end to the sacrifices. There will be no Sabbath kept. There will be no Jewish feasts kept. There will be no circumcision for the Jewish males on the eighth day, the sign of the covenant. He dedicates the temple in Jerusalem not to Yahweh anymore, but to Zeus. He puts an image of Zeus in the holy place where the menorah stood. And he sacrifices a pig, the most unkosher meat, on the altar of sacrifice in the outer courtyard and spreads the juices of the pig throughout the entire temple courtyard and on the holy vessels. That was known to the Jews at the time as the abomination of desolation. It was their, their high point of desecration, of defilement of their holy temple. As this madman went through Jerusalem and Judea, he made every person give homage to Zeus and to pagan gods that they worshipped up in Syria. Anybody who refused was killed. Now, there's a couple of stories given to us by a Jewish historian named Flavius Josephus of people who, being sold out to God, decided not to comply. Here's one story. There were two mothers that had two sons, they circumcised on the eighth day their babies. Refusing to assimilate, refusing to do bear homage to Zeus or any of these pagan gods or goddesses, they worship God, they circumcised their children. When the Syrian army found out, Antiochus Epiphanes ordered that the babies be killed, tied to the necks of their mothers, marched through the streets of Jerusalem with their dead babies hanging from their necks. And once they marched through the whole city being laughed at by the Syrians, then they were pushed off the wall of Jerusalem and they died on the floor below. There was another story of 
a woman who had seven sons. She refused to bow to Antiochus. The story, according to Josephus, is that Antiochus ordered the tongues of the boys cut out while they were alive in front of their mother, had them fried on a flat iron till they were dead, and then finally killed the mother afterwards. Well, all of this horrible uh, time and all of these atrocities came to a, a head in a village just a few miles to the north of Jerusalem, a place that I've been to a couple times, a village called Modin, M-O-D-I-N, Modin. When the Syrian commander came into Modin and built an altar to Zeus and commanded all of the people of the city to take part in a sacrifice, one of the leaders of that town, a Jewish gentleman, and decided to be the first to comply because he didn't want to die. And so he walked up to the temple or up to the altar to sacrifice to Zeus. And there was an old man, a fiery man, who loved God passionately. His name was Mattathias. When he saw that spokesperson of the city ready to worship a false god, he took out a sword and he killed the man the traitor, and killed the Syrian commander and tore down the altar and started a rebellion. Now, when he started a rebellion, he had to take himself, his five boys, his five sons, and their families and flee to the wilderness for protection, which they did. And for a year from the wilderness, this group of expatriate guerrillas would march into townships around Judea and break down more pagan altars and more pagan altars and more pagan altars. Eventually, the old guy, Mattathias, died. His third-born son was named Judas Maccabeus. And Judas Maccabeus became the new leader of this revolting rebel group of Jews against the Syrians. Judas Maccabeus was nicknamed the Hammer. Way before there was MC Hammer, there was J.M. Hammer. Judas Maccabeus the Hammer, one of the most strategic, powerful generals in all of Jewish history. And he completed the revolt and was successful in not only pushing out the entire Syrian force outside of the border of Israel, but in rededicating the temple back to God in 164 B.C. That celebration of that day is called Hanukkah. And this is how it was celebrated. This is all according to tradition from here on out, what I'm about to tell you. According to tradition, in 164, when Judas Maccabeus and the rest of the Jewish people decided to rededicate the temple back to God, They knew that one of the things they had to do is keep this menorah in the holy place lit all of the time. But they could only find one single flagon or cruise of pure olive oil that had been sealed with the seal of the high priest, the signet ring of the high priest. Only one flagon of oil that would last one day of this menorah burning in the holy place. According to tradition, they poured the pure oil from the flagon into the menorah, lit the menorah, and the next day, the flagon was full. And then it was full again the next day, and miraculously, it was replenished for eight days. So, 
every December in the Jewish calendar of Kislev, there's the 25th of Kislev, the, the, the date of the rededication of the temple. For eight days, there is a festival called Hanukkah. It's called the Feast of Dedication. That's what it's called here. Jesus was in the temple. It says it was the Feast of Dedication, and it was the winter time, And that was the Feast of Hanukkah that Jesus was observing in the temple where his disciples and the crowds were gathered. So that's why every December around Christmas time and you wonder, what's the deal with Hanukkah? Where did that come from? That's where it came from between the Old and the New Testament and it was being celebrated already at the time of Jesus Christ. Now because of that traditional miracle that happened of the replenishing of the oil, the very next year when they came back to celebrate the first time, the first celebration of the rededication of the temple, they started doing the eight days of Hanukkah. So sometimes you will see a candelabra like this that has seven branches. Other times you'll see one that has nine branches. And people often get them confused. And a lot of times in Jerusalem, they, I have people ask me, which one should I buy? And I try to explain this to them. The seven-branch candlestick was the menorah in the temple, a symbol of the presence of God with the nation. The nine-branch candlestick celebrates the lighting of that. And since the lighting of that lasted eight days, you have eight candles with a lead candle where you take it off and light a new one each day. And that's why there are nine in the Hanukkah or the nine-branched candlestick for Hanukkah. So here's Jesus. And what's significant about this text is this marks the close of his public ministry. That is, from here on out in the Gospel of John, Jesus will not share with the crowds any great oratories anymore. He's done. It's over. They have wholesale rejected him. The rest of his words, as given to us in the Gospel of John, will be only for his own, the disciples after this. So here's Jesus, the light of the world. That's what he called himself. Walking in the temple during the festival of lights, it is sometimes called, or dedication, or Hanukkah. He's walking through the temple area. The leaders surround him. They press him with questions. The light is going out. It's an interesting phrase. It says, and it was winter. Of course, it was winter time. It was December. It was this month. But I, I, I can almost see it symbolically as well. Remember what Jeremiah said? The harvest is over. The summer is past. And we are not saved. And it was winter time. And the time of the public testimony had come to an end. And now he'll turn all of his efforts toward his disciples. And this is what I want to say in applying that. Winter is coming for us. There's coming a time when we'll witness no longer. We'll, we'll never share the gospel ever again. We'll be done either by uh, uh, limitation or we'll be in heaven. We'll be gone from this earth, either by rapture or by death. So we have a limited period of time to shine the light. Now Jesus said he was the light of the world. But he said something else. He said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It was as if he was saying, I'm the original light. I'm the sun, but I want you to reflect my light. As long as you are in the world, 
You reflect my light. You're the light of the world. We have a limited time to do that. And the time to do that is now. The time of our testimony is now. The time of our witness is now. Also, all of this took place in the temple. There is no temple today. There's talk of the rebuilding of a temple. Some of us get very excited about that. But Paul the Apostle said, The Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. So where does he dwell? Inside of you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the place where God operates from. The base of operations, God sets up HQ headquarters from your body so that wherever you are and wherever I am, there Christ may be. Shining the light. Worshiping the Lord in the temple of our body. Now, Marty will tell you that one of the things that that drew him to the Messiah, to Yeshua, to Jesus as being the Messiah, is reading the New Testament and discovering how Jewish Jesus was, and he never knew it. I'm going to let him take it from here, but let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might shine the light of Yeshua, the brilliance of his person, not hiding him, not limiting him by sin in our lives or even by our own traditions or ways of thinking. We pray, Lord, that Jesus Christ would shine purely, brightly, and clearly through us individually and through us in the community corporately as your body. Lord, as we celebrate the season, we realize that we are worshiping not just the one who was born into this world, but the one after he was born who tied together this ancient feast of lights and brought that symbolism to the forefront as he is the light of the world. And what a privilege to follow him, to be delivered from darkness and to follow him in the light. In his name, the name of Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.